This is Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. All right, welcome to this hour of the program. Rob Breckenridge with you. 403-974-TALK is our number, 974-8255. A lot more still to get to. Now, later in the hour, we're going to talk a bit more about blasphemy. Uh, And that's relevant to the next conversation we're going to have. But it is one of the changes announced today, the uh, federal government tabling Bill C-51 to make a number of changes to the Criminal Code of Canada and a lot of much needed change. Now, one of those changes is eliminating Section 296 of the Criminal Code, which refers to publishing blasphemous libel. So that's going to be gone and that probably should have been rid of some time ago. So we'll get into that issue separately coming up later in the hour, but I want to get a bit more of an overview of what the government's doing here. Because it's multifaceted, and a part of it involves clarifying and strengthening some of the language around the sexual assault provisions of the criminal code. I also wonder, though, too, from that, whether there's a need to ensure more training of judges, because we've had some, some controversial rulings on sexual assault cases as of late. Now, what I also find interesting, maybe our next guest can clarify it for us, because as I'm looking at some of these changes, provisions that have been found unconstitutional or are similar to those found unconstitutional, I'm not seeing any reference to Section 230 of the Criminal Code, which deals with culpable homicide. Now, people might remember in the Travis Vader case, that verdict that was broadcast live where the judge erroneously relied on that section of the Criminal Code, which had been struck down by the Supreme Court over a quarter of a century ago. And now that case nearly fell apart. And I think to a lot of people, that was kind of an impetus for saying, let's go in and let's clean up these so-called zombie provisions of the criminal code. Now, there's also a section dealing with obsolete and redundant provisions like blasphemy, like witchcraft, like challenging someone to a duel, distributing or publishing crime comics. A lot of this really outdated language. So joining us for more, very pleased to welcome to the program, Stephen Penny, professor of law, University of Alberta. Stephen, thanks so much for joining us here. Uh, No problem, Rob. Uh, like I said, Section 230, I, unless I'm missing it somewhere, shouldn't this be front and center if we're cleaning up the criminal code? I would have thought so. Uh, I haven't had a chance to go over the proposed bill with a fine-tooth comb, but uh, it does not appear to be included, which uh, is indeed curious. Well, yeah, it's, it's curious. It's puzzling because, I mean, that was kind of the, the impetus, it seems, for the government to go in and say, look, there are laws in the books that are unconstitutional. Let's get them out of there. So... Yeah, like I said, maybe it's it's in there somewhere, but you would have thought that would have been front and center. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I don't think it's the only impetus for this bill. I mean, many, many people uh, in the legal profession and the legal academy have been arguing for, for decades now for a general house cleaning of the criminal code. So this has kind of been on the agenda uh, for some time. But, you know, within recent memory, certainly what happened in the Vader case uh, was presumably top of mind from some government officials. And uh, it is a bit surprising yeah. that this is not seemingly part of this this first step in the house cleaning process. Yeah. Well, and, and maybe we'll get some further clarity on that. But yeah, it's, it's, that seems like a glaring omission. All right. Well, you know, as I say, this bill is multifaceted because it deals with unconstitutional laws. It deals with obsolete laws. But it's also meant to strengthen some of the wording around sexual assault legislation. Is, is there a need for that in your view? 
Well, I think it's, it's helpful to a, what I would say as a minor degree. There's very little in this bill with respect to sexual assault law that is truly new. Uh, there's some minor changes regarding the admissibility of some kinds of evidence, but I don't think there's anything in here that really should change in any kind of substantive way the way, the way that sexual assault cases are handled by Canadian courts. That being said, I think it's, it's useful and of at least some benefit to have some of the general principles that the courts have been articulating over the past couple of decades sort of expressly stated in the criminal code. So, you know, for somebody who was very well versed in sexual assault law, you know, conducted these kinds of cases and was familiar with what the courts have been saying, this isn't going to add much. But if there are those who are maybe judges or lawyers who aren't as familiar, or perhaps, uh, you know, there are some principles that may fall through the gaps in their preparation for a case, you know, this may potentially draw their attention to those relevant principles and, and perhaps avoid uh, some mistakes uh, from being made. Right, because I, I think some of the issue has been judges not knowing the law. That, that's the, so it's, the problem is not the law necessarily, but how we're training judges, perhaps. Yeah, that's right. And I, I don't know that this will make a tremendous different on, difference on that front. I think judicial education and awareness is a, perhaps a bigger part of the picture, but it can't hurt to, to spell out in clear terms in the criminal code itself the principles that the Supreme Court of Canada has been articulating as a said for the past 20 or 30 years. Mm-hmm. All right, now getting back to the issue of these so-called zombie provisions of the criminal code, laws that have been struck down by the courts but remain on the books, why is it difficult, why has it been difficult in the past for governments to say, okay, well, that law is struck down, let's remove that from the criminal code? Well, that's a, a fascinating question. I don't know that anyone truly knows that there's a, a single answer to it, but I think largely it, it comes down to politics. You know, what is the political benefit in you know messing with the criminal code we've seen successive governments both conservative and liberal governments sort of take the attitude towards the criminal code and to the criminal law generally that if there aren't political points to be scored if we can't sort of please certain constituencies or or gain some sort of political advantage from uh, working with the code, then we're m- much less likely to become involved. That isn't to say that there haven't been useful amendments uh, or changes to the code that have generally been you know, good social policy. I think there have been some changes like that, but it seems like politics comes before policy. Uh, and, uh, and here, I think, you know, in part because of the Vader decision, there was more pressure to, to not just do the right, you know, not just to do the right thing politically, but to do the right thing in terms of evidence-based policy. So that's a start, although I think for the most part, this was very low-hanging fruit. The government really hasn't taken on anything that really has any kind of potentially politically controversial aspect to it. Right. And I think, you know, the, the thing with the Vader case, it, it surprised a lot of people maybe because we assume when the courts have struck down a law that they're actually going in and, and striking it from the books, but that's not how it works. Well, not always. It, you know, there have been occasions uh, over the last few decades where provisions in the criminal code that were struck down by the Supreme Court of Canada were repealed by Parliament. But more often than not, they haven't been. So now we've got, again, not a comprehensive house cleaning, but at least a, a first step towards getting rid not only of laws that have been you know, officially struck down by the Supreme Court of Canada, but a few other provisions that are you know, highly dubious. You know, if they were ever challenged, there's a very high likelihood that they would have been struck down, uh, as well as some just archaic offenses, some of which you mentioned in your introduction.
Well, and some of them might, might be both. I mean, a blasphemy law is both archaic and something that probably would be struck down as unconstitutional. Well, that particular provision it was struck down uh, by the courts, so that one was, was pure house cleaning, so that there was, they didn't accomplish anything of substance there. They were merely deleting something that really was of no force or effect already. And when was that struck down? Oh, gee, you're stretching my okay. memory now, but it's um, you know, it probably at least 10 years ago, I think. Interesting. Um, but another one has been this, this law around practicing witchcraft, because that's actually been used. Yeah, I have heard of the odd case where that, uh, that has uh, arisen. Um, and I think, you know, with that particular provision and many others like it, whether it's dueling or alarming Her Majesty, um, you know, there there is a kernel of good sense in the law. I mean, there was some, you know, mischief or some form of wrongdoing that the law was originally aimed to, to get at. But, you know, of course, with the, you know, the modernization of society and the evolution of values, um, you know, it doesn't really capture what we really want it to capture. And so there are lots of other laws in the criminal code that will capture anything that's threatening or that constitutes an assault or that constitutes a fraud. And so we don't need to have these very specific specific arcane laws in order to cover those particular situations. Right. And as it pertains to duels, we're not legalizing duels. Of course not. No, absolutely. But we just realize that the form of the law doesn't suit the contemporary times and that, you know, if someone threatens another with violence or actually inflicts violence on another person, you know, we can charge them with assault, etc. We don't need to have this this arcane law that specifically speaks to a duel. Yeah, and, and crime comics. Uh, and people have raised this issue for a long time, but we still have that language in the criminal code around crime comics, yeah. uh, which seems pretty contrary to, to, to the charter, to, to the Constitution, yeah, so that, it, that's got to go. It's pretty bizarre, and I think it, uh, you know, it comes from a time where the definition of obscenity uh, was, was much broader than it is today and included you know, certain kinds of messages about, you know, getting away with crime or being involved in some sort of criminal underworld. So this is, you know, this is something from the 20s or 30s that, uh, you know, we've long since, uh, um, you know, discarded in terms of our everyday practice, but that still remained in the criminal code. You know, and by the way, I mean, it's, it's odd that we're talking about the criminal code. At the same week, we learned about this, this awful case we heard about yesterday, this woman who was a victim of a, a brutal sexual assault. That Was it a provision under the criminal code that allowed her to not only be detained, but transferred in the same tri- prison van as, as, as her attacker? Yeah, there's a limited power to, uh, you know, detain witnesses uh, where there is very strong evidence that they are not going to cooperate and they're going to flee the jurisdiction. So in the same way that if you're an uncooperative witness, you know, whether you're a complainant or just an ordinary witness in any type of case, you know, the court can compel you to testify. It's your civic obligation to provide evidence. And if you fail to comply, you know, you can be cited with contempt and potentially you can be uh, taken into custody. So there's nothing particularly uncontroversial about, or controversial rather, about that in principle. But of course the application of that in this particular case was truly awful. And in fact, you know, there was no evidence whatsoever that she was truly uncooperative, unwilling to participate. In fact, all of the evidence, as I understand it, showed that while her evidence was potentially uh, difficult to follow at the preliminary inquiry and she seemed to be reluctant, uh, that there was no, no information leading to the conclusion that she wasn't going to show up or wasn't going to try to participate as, as best she could. And so the way this was handled, as has been widely, widely reported, was truly appalling. 
Right. So that's not necessarily a problem with the criminal code so much. It was just the, that she was wrongly classified as an uncooperative or witness or a flight risk and was just treated horribly. Yes, it was treated horribly and without any degree of sensitivity to the, the nature of the of the crime that she was a victim of and the position that she was in as a, a complainant in a sexual violence case. And so it was a, a misapplication of law and, and poor judgment, to say the least. Yeah, no kidding. All right, we'll leave it there. Stephen, thanks so much for the insight. Appreciate you making some time for us here. You're very welcome. All right, Stephen Penny, professor of law at the University of Alberta. So his thoughts on some of these changes. Uh, and one glaring absence, which seems really odd. You know, as we said, this, this uh, section of the criminal code dealing with culpable murder, which was struck down by the court, section 230 of the criminal code, Culpable homicide is murder where a person causes the death of a human being while committing or attempting to commit high treason or treason or some other uh, criminal offense. Uh, Sexual assault, assault with a weapon, aggravated sexual assault, kidnapping, robbery, hostage taking, breaking and entering arson, etc. So that law was struck down in a very high profile Supreme Court case from, I think it was 1990. So that was the, the judge in the Travis Vader case. How He was, would not have been aware of that based part of his finding on Section 230. The case nearly fell apart, of course. Uh, so it turned into a real mess. And yet this bill announced by the liberals today doesn't address what would seem to be the most obvious or certainly the most high profile of these so-called zombie laws. So that, that's a weird one. Uh, regarding the witchcraft charge, by the way, getting a few texts on that. So the, the charge as it stands, under pretending to practice witchcraft, I guess if you were a genuine witch, you're in the clear, or wizard, or sorcerer. Just don't pretend to be one. Everyone who fraudulently pretends to exercise or to use any kind of witchcraft, sorcery, enchantment, or conjuration, or undertakes for consideration to tell fortunes, or pretends from his skill in or knowledge of an occult or crafty science to discover where or in what manner anything that is supposed to have been lost or stolen may be found, is guilty of an offense punishable on summary conviction. So all of those psychics who show up at the police station say, I know where that missing person is. Well, at that moment, I suppose, the cuffs ought to have been slapped on them (laughs) under Section 365. So that law is going to be struck down, but it actually has been used a few times. And I think one of the arguments against that law is that it's typically used on, well, foreigners. But there are all kinds of people out there who claim all kinds of different powers and ability. I mean, psychic hotlines and everything. You can find all kinds of people willing to take your money in exchange for talking to your dead grandma or telling you your future or all of this kind of stuff. It's silly, but I guess if people are willing to pay that, it's seen as entertainment. But we do have laws pertaining to fraud, right? So I don't know why this witchcraft law is there. The last story, this was from March of this year. Uh, This from Post Media. An Indian man living in Toronto was charged with pretending to practice witchcraft after he allegedly convinced a client to pay him $101,000 to remove an evil spirit. Toronto police said the man who went by the name Master Raghav advertised psychic readings for $20 by handing out business cards in shopping malls and placing them in mailboxes. When the victim, a 44-year-old Brampton man, uh, visited the man, he was told that his daughter was carrying an evil spirit. In fact, in an online ad, 
the Sri Gayatri, the Sri Gayatri, my goodness, Astrological Center, advertises the removal of black magic evil spirits. Also promising to solve everything from love to money and court problems. <laughs> they offer a 100% guarantee. So this guy had been in Canada for less than a year. So he convinced this other man that you pay me, I'll, I'll remove the spirit. When he performed the ritual and it wouldn't work, police say the man convinced the victim to try multiple techniques. For each one, the price increased till the victim had spent a total of $101,000. Now, police didn't detail what types of rituals are being performed. But the victim's daughter was present for most of them. When the victim realized his daughter's health wasn't improving, all right, I mean, well, not to blame the victim here, but at what point was, should that have been obvious? He deduced that this guy was a fraud and called police. So he was charged with pretending to practice witchcraft, fraud over $5,000 and extortion, right? So in that case, you've got fraud over $5,000. You've got extortion. So what do you need this, this other weird charge? So there's an example of how it is still used, but it's uh, pretty antiquated. So that's going to be struck down. 403-974-TALK is our number. We're back with more right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.